Good morning, friends. Thank you so much for joining us for our worship service to the Lord today. Uh, you guys look great. You're covered from Easter. How many went away for spring break? Let's see the hands. Anybody go away for spring break? All right. Hope you had a good time, and that's where everybody else is. <laughs> They're coming home from spring break. We're going to start a series today on the family, and it will go through the month. <laughs> How to embarrass yourself. Um, <laughs> you get that on the video. <laughs> Dan's drunk. Okay. As I said, we're going to be talking about the family today, and we're going to start a series, and it's going to be a great time, and I wanted to celebrate families today. So, I'm going to start out with uh, newlyweds. Do we have any newlyweds in our congregation? Anybody been married under a year? Stand up. Under two years? Under three years? Under four years? Where, where, where? Oh, Wes, it's you! <laughs> Way to go, man. Listen, I've got a, uh, a Panera gift card for you for $500. Because we're just generous here at Springbrook. No, it's just for $5. But you can get some good stuff for $5. You know, work your points in there. How many years have you married? Two and a half years. Let's give him a hand, huh? All right. All right. Now let's see. Now I'm looking for uh, the youngest firstborn child. <laughs> I know where that is. <laughs> yes, it's Gary Woodoff, our new music director, worship director. Let's, he's all happy. <laughs> yeah, and they've got little Caleb here. Little, little Caleb, he's so cute, Amy, his wife. And Amy, why don't you stand up just for a second, just so everybody can see you. Let's thank Amy and Gary. And little Caleb. Yeah, you guys have been such a blessing to us already. And you get a $5 card to Panera. Oh, no, wait. Do you want uh, Starbucks or Panera? What? Doesn't matter? Okay. I'll give you the Panera. All right. All right. Let's see. What else do we have here? Okay. Let's see how many. Who's the woman who's given birth the most children? Okay. So, all women who've given birth to a child, please stand up. Uh, stand up. Oh, let's thank them, huh? All right, um, if you have given birth to two children, remain standing. Two children, you just have one, you can sit down, but two, okay, the two? How about three? Remain. Oh, we lost some people there. Oh, yeah. How about four? Okay, how about five? How about six? 
Oh, oh, wait a second there. Let's go back to five. Let's go back to five. Five children. Five children. Okay. Anybody more than five? All right. I'm sorry. I'm limited on my gift cards. <laughs> but I'll give you guys a hug afterwards. Yeah, that, that will do it. Sonia Noren. What's your oldest child now? Way to go. Way to go, Don. All right. Now we're going to do the most grandchildren. Okay? So let's start out. Everybody who has grandchildren, stand up. All right. All right. If you have uh, two grandchildren, Two grandchildren keep standing, three keep standing, four keep standing, five keep standing, okay. six keep standing, seven keep standing, eight, nine, ten. Oh, we lost Al there. Look who it is. Is there anybody else? Oh, man. You guys are cleaning up today. It's like bingo, you know. Way to go. Yeah, God bless you. 58 years. Isn't that incredible? 58 years. Way to go, man. That's super. And, you know, that was the last one I was going to do. Who was married the longest? So, anybody over 58? 57. Okay. All right. Well. I never believe this. One couple taking three home together. You guys, you're going to go to the Panera, then you're going to bring up a drink at Starbucks, and oh, we love you. We love you. Yeah. Oh, sorry, bud. Yeah, Don and Sonia just uh, love the Lord and uh, live uh, for Him. It's great to celebrate family, isn't it? Family. And it's so sad today because so many people in our country, are trying to redefine family. Uh, They're trying to uh, change marriage. All these different type of things that God put in place. And when God puts something in place, it's for our good. Think of the number of people living together. I I feel sorry for them. I do. Because they're not going to experience God's best in their lives. They're going to experience a lot of problems that they wouldn't experience if they would just pursue God's best. Yeah, a lot of people say the family is uh, irrelevant. The family is old-fashioned. The family is out of date, no longer needed. Well, I would beg to disagree. This screen over here, our ball popped uh, last service. But I'll keep looking at it, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, here's the uh, series that we're going through. What's a family for? How to restore harmony in the home. Now, you want to be here that day because that's about how, how do you deal with conflict in the home? We all have conflict in the home? I think we do, right? <laughs> yes, we do. I'll tell you, you do. Or you're really trying to suppress it. 
All right. Raising kids without raising your blood pressure. Is that even possible? Maybe we can reduce our blood pressure. And hope for hurting parents. Uh, the parents who have children who have made choices and uh, hurt them in different ways. We'll be talking about that as well. So this is a great opportunity to invite a friend out to Springbrook because this is really practical stuff. Uh, so I would encourage you to do that. We've got our uh, postcards, and we would love to have you get out there and invite some more people because it will be very helpful uh, for them. Now this morning, I'm going to look at how God designed the family for our benefit, for our pleasure, for our good. There won't be a lot of practical application, but this is kind of the foundation message of the series in order that you might understand uh, the future messages. Well, the family was defined by God in the beginning. Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Well, you had Adam there, and of course God had just unbelievable creativity in, in creating the universe and the stars and the planets and uh, different solar systems and, and then, of course, earth and beautifying earth uh, with everything and the water and uh, the animals and all that kind of thing. But it got to a point where God said this. It is not good that man should be alone. He needs a partner. So what he did was uh, he put Adam to sleep and he took out one of his ribs. I wonder how that felt afterwards. I'm not sure. He took out one of the ribs and he made Eve from one of Adam's ribs. Can you imagine the first time that Adam saw Eve? I can imagine he was pretty excited. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, wow. God, wow. This is even better than I thought. They're better than the trees and the fruit and everything else and the animals. <laughs> you had it just right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a perfect environment. I mean, it was really the world that God intended for us to be in. And you might not be a big, uh, big into gardening, but uh, whatever world God put you in, it would have been perfect. All right, so their job was to take care of the garden. All this unbelievable fruit and food surrounding them. The weather was perfect all the time. Uh, they really just enjoyed it. They enjoyed it thoroughly because they were with God. God was communing with them. He was talking with them. Can you believe that? Well, that was, again, what God wanted for this earth. Everything was going from, can you imagine the perfect marriage? Where, where neither one sins? Wow. It'd be great. Well, that's the, this is the first family, right? So you got Adam and Eve. They got this great thing going on. And what happens? Well, Eve is tempted. Uh, by the serpent, but she made the choice to eat of the fruit of the tree that Jesus Christ or God said, "No, you can't eat from that tree." 
Then Adam comes along, and instead of saying, no, Eve, we shouldn't eat of that, he eats the fruit. <laughs> you know, he supports his wife in that. So you have the first married couple really just making a disastrous mistake, a terrible, terrible choice, because when they made that, they brought the curse upon earth and the curse upon man. This is the first family, okay? First try. All right, so they're not doing very well, are they? And then on top of that, they had two kids. Now, what could go wrong with two kids, right? Cain and Abel? Well, we know what went wrong. Cain killed Abel. This is the first family we're talking about here, guys. You think you have problems in your family? I mean, has any of your children ever murdered another one of your children? Hopefully not, right? And you think about the different families throughout the Old Testament, and you really can't come up with a really solid example. I mean, all the families that are portrayed are very dysfunctional. Well, you think about Abraham and his 12 sons and Joseph there. and you know. What did the brothers do with Joseph after he started bragging about how he was going to rule over them? Well, they, they sold him into slavery. Now, has any of your kids sold their brother or sister into slavery? Right, you're ahead of the game. Right, you're doing pretty well. Then you look at King David and his family. Right now, again, King David was said to to have a uh, a heart for God, a man after God's own heart. That's a, the way God viewed him. So he was, you know, tight with God. But man, he really messed things up. Think about it. He started out well. But then, of course, he fell into sexual temptation and had an affair uh, with Bathsheba, which really was uh, a curse upon his life then because of that sin. And he had a lot of problems with his children. He, he was a terrible dad. Oh, yeah, he was a terrible dad. I mean, one of his sons uh, raped uh, his sister. <laughs> and then on top of that, you have Absalom. He started a civil war, a civil war in order that he might overthrow his dad. Now, what's interesting is if you study it carefully, both things could have been avoided if Abraham was on top of it as a dad. But for whatever reason, or excuse me, uh, uh, Joseph, yeah. <laughs> he was, David, uh, he wasn't on top of it. He just kind of let these things go. He knew these dynamics were happening in the family, but he did not address them. So, friends, what do we learn about families? Now, families can easily get messed up, right? I mean, we're looking at the major narratives in the Old Testament, and it's all about dysfunctional families. So, don't be surprised when you have issues going on in your family, right? Yeah, it certainly is a challenge. There's no doubt about that. Now, God defined marriage 
He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's the definition of marriage. Right out of Genesis, the first couple, they're going to leave their father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. They'll become one flesh sexually. They'll become one flesh spiritually and emotionally. And what people don't realize is sex is not just like drinking water or having a good meal. When you have sex with a person, uh, what happens is is you become one in a sense. Uh, Emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And then when all of a sudden you break off, well, you're bonded together like super glue. So, So when you break off, oh, it's so painful. It's so painful. And, and ladies, you're the ones who always get the worst side of the stick, right? Yeah. I mean, you're the ones who suffer. And that's why it's so important that we fall within God's design of marriage so we won't experience the pain. God doesn't want us to experience the pain. Matthew 19:13-15 shows us something very, very uh, unique. So we read, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now we look at that passage and we say, Oh, isn't that cute? We've got all kinds of pictures. Lots of what that might have looked like. But what we miss is that this was something that was shocking to people in that day. Why didn't the disciples want the kids to talk to Jesus? Well, the reason was is because children had no rights. They had no rights at all. They were just like little slaves, one might say, in the house. And so, therefore, to think of the children having the respect to be in the presence of Jesus was just unheard of. Children better seen, not heard. So, these parents want their children to see Jesus and the disciples. They just kind of freak out and say, no, what are you talking about? He's not interested in children. Uh, Guys, could you send those children forward? (laughs) They're just going to drop in their mouths going, What's going on? And, and as the children surrounded him, what he did was he identified them with respect. The same respect he had for adults, he had for children. In fact, he even used them as an illustration. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. What he's saying? Well, he's saying you have to have the heart and mind of a child. The innocence, the humility, uh, the desire to submit and serve. Uh, we need to have that. And, and again, when we grow to be adults, we say, well, I can take care of this. We're children. They need help, and they, they want to have that kind of help. That's the spirit with which they need to come. So what happened there, everybody in the crowd was astounded. Like, he's hanging out with children. He's interested in children. I mean, who's interested 
in children. Well, Jesus Christ was interested in children because they were one of his creations. In Galatians 3.28, it kind of sums up what Jesus Christ said about the family and what Paul said about the family. Book of Galatians. There, this is talking about the kingdom of God, okay? There is neither Jew nor Greek. What he's saying is that everybody is on an equal plane when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, I don't get any special bennies because I'm faster. You know, it's not a part of the chat, part of the Bible that says, well, if you're a pastor, here are some more benefits you get out of relationship with God. No, no, we're all on the same level. So when the Gentiles were grafted into the church, when they were given the opportunity to be transformed by Christ, the Jews got really ticked. They're saying, wait a second, we're the chosen people. What are you doing? Well, Jesus was changing it up. That's what he was doing. Jew and Gentile, the same. There is neither slave nor free. Now again, in the Roman Empire, 50% of the people were slaves. Some were doctors and lawyers and accountants. I mean, they had a lot of professional jobs. But again, they were still slaves. They were property. Well, what happened? We see here that Paul is saying that the person who's a slave and the person who's free and maybe owns slaves, they're on the same level in the eyes of God. For you are all one. Or excuse me, one more. There is no male and female. Now, this was what that really would upset people because men were always in charge. Men always, you know, were over women. And Jesus Christ said, no, no, there's no difference. They're joint heirs. They're joint heirs in me, in the kingdom. So again, this is revolutionary. That's the main thing I want to communicate to you today. That all these things we teach about the family today were not common in that, in the nation there, in Israel. It just wasn't common. I mean, it was all kind of like breakthrough stuff, groundbreaking stuff. And, and so therefore, I mean, this is the first time this type of uh, family model had ever been used in the world. I mean, of course, the Israelites had it to some degree, but Jesus Christ took it uh, to another level. Now, the Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, and tested him by asking. Of course, they wanted him to uh, say the wrong thing so they could use it against them. He said, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, back in that day, because women were just property, uh, there was a no-fault divorce. And I can show you right now. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you. That's all that happened. No papers, no lawyers, no splitting up resources. That's what a man could do in that day. And it's craziness, isn't it? To think of that, that a man would have that much power. And of course, when you don't go God's way, in the way the family's built, it's women and children who always suffer. 
Because the women in that day, they couldn't earn money for themselves. Uh, they had to be cared for by other people. And friends, whenever we don't do it God's way, children and women suffer. It's a very important thing you need to think about and process through. Well, Jesus Christ said, have you not read? <laughs> that was a great insult. Those there would have appreciated that because these were the Pharisees. I mean, they had memorized the whole thing. You know, the Pentateuch and other books. And, and have you not read? Well, of course they have read. <laughs> that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Well, that sounds familiar, right? That's how God defined it in the beginning. So it's the same definition. What are you guys talking about? It's right there in the Bible. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. So, yeah, now there's no divorce, right? But then they asked him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I want to introduce a very important concept to you. Now, when we look at God's Word and look at all the different ways we should be treating each other and serving God, that is an ideal. Okay, that's what God would like us to work towards. But, of course, many times we can't get there in this life. I mean, Jesus Christ always raised the bar on behavior in the New Testament. He said in the law, it says, you shall not murder someone. And then he said, but I say, even if you have a you know, murderous thought towards someone, you've murdered them. So I would assume that we're all murderers because maybe at some point in life, we realize the person was in our lives that we would not honor. <laughs> right? And, then, you know, the idea of adultery. The law said do not commit adultery. And I say don't even have uh, lustful thought. Oh, man, there goes all the men, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, what, what are you talking about? Well, again, that's the ideal. And if we were able to live the ideal, we would have great lives. But, of course, we couldn't live the ideal. And Jesus Christ came down and paid the price uh, in order that we might be freed from the penalty of not living to the ideal, not living to the perfection that God desired. So you got the ideal, and then you have reality, where you're at, and how you behave, and compared, of course, to the ideal. Now, of course, Jesus Christ imputed righteousness into us when we became a Christ follower, so he sees us as holy. When it comes down to everyday living, you know, we're not holy. Now, we've been forgiven for all our sins, so we are holy. But as we go throughout life, we're going to continue to sin. And when we do sin, what do you do? When you're out of fellowship with God, 
when you sin. Well, you go to God and you say, I agree that that was sin, that that was wrong, and I claim your forgiveness that you gave me on the cross. That's what you do. You don't ask him necessarily to forgive you because he's already forgiven you for all your sins. But you claim that forgiveness that he's always given you, and that keeps you, uh, you know, on a, a healthy path uh, with your relationship with God. So here's the point. Okay. Marriage, here's the idea. You know, together forever. But if you experience a divorce, God's going to forgive you for that. God is not going to hold that against you. That's one of the sins he died for. Well, does that make sense? Well, the problem is that that so many people today, so many non-Christ followers and Christ followers, you know, they want to change the ideal. They want to say, well, that doesn't work anymore, and I feel uncomfortable uh, with that ideal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lower the ideal to reach my reality. Then I don't have to feel bad about it anymore. Uh, all of us do it in some way. We rationalize our way to get the ideal down. It says, yes, I am meeting God's ideal. I'm not meeting God's ideal, but i got some pretty good reasons, I'll tell you. Right? We always want to bring the ideal down because whenever we read the Word of God, you know, we feel, oh, you know, I should be doing that. But again, you've got to remember, you've been forgiven of all your sins. And yes, God wants us to continue to pursue holiness in every area of our lives but we need to realize we're never going to reach the ideal. But people say, well, let's just get rid of the ideal then. Get rid of the ideal? Redefine everything. Family, parents, and children, uh, sexuality. Yeah, let's, let's just change it so we feel good about it. Well, friends, you can't get rid of the ideal. I mean, you can... But it's always there. Even people who are doing things uh, that, again, are far from what God would desire, they're feeling the pain of it to some degree because they know the ideal. They might have you know, tried to rationalize it away, but their experience of pain of not living the ideal and the consequences of their living reality, feeling it's okay, they can't get away from the pain of it. That's true because God's Word, God's principles have been imprinted on our hearts. It makes all the difference in the world. So, again, what Jesus Christ said, well, this is what marriage is, but I understand the nature of divorce. Sometimes it happens. It's a sin, but I've forgiven them already for that. All right? Now, He doesn't want us to get divorced because it's incredibly painful and, again, rips us from that one person that we had become one flesh with. Now, what I want to do is I want to go over five verses that uh, Paul talked about that really kind of, and Peter, really kind of tell us what the Word of God, the New Testament, kind of sums up what the New Testament says family is all about. So, we start out in Ephesians 5. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, again, back in that day, they would have read that and said, What? Are you kidding me? I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love my wife as much as Jesus Christ loves the church? I mean, now you're really going way out of my league. There's no way I can do that. Do you throw out the ideal? No. Do you realize that you're in sin? Yes. Do you claim God's forgiveness? Yes. But at the same time, God wants us to continue to pursue the ideal through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we won't reach the ideal until we're in heaven. But you don't throw out the ideal. You bring it out to God. First Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now again, wait a second, she's my wife. <laughs> you know, and I don't have a lot of respect for her because our culture doesn't have a lot of respect uh, for her. You know, what are you talking about? I have to be considerate of her. I have to understand her. Oh, guys, you know, after 27 years of marriage, uh, I can have, I have many examples. Or my wife has many examples. <laughs> In fact, I asked her on the way in, hey, can you remind me of something? And she said, well, there's a time you forgot my birthday. That might have been multiple times. Oh, just once. I was, oh, no, that's not bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, and there's that one time for Mother's Day, uh, you gave me a book on how to be a better housekeeper. <laughs> what a fool I am. <laughs> what an idiot, right? <laughs> I've gotten much better, haven't I? Oh, yeah, okay. All right. In fact, my dad had to talk to me once because we had a family gathering up in Nina where we started our first church and uh, trying to get people out the door. And he says, Dan, you're not helping your wife. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes we're kind of thick in the head about these type of things. So, so, you know, one thing thing that has grown more and more important to me is uh, my beloved wife and honoring her and understanding her, and making life uh, the best that it can be. And, you know, I would encourage you to go home, men, and say, is there any way I can understand you better or I can honor you? Understand you better or honor you? Why don't you ask that question right now? She doesn't need to respond at this point. But we're just going to practice it, okay? Okay, just ask a question. Is there any way that I can understand you, or honor you. Okay, so I'll say it to my wife. You guys say it. Now, don't answer. Okay, we don't want any fights to break out here. Okay. Now, I'm sure you just ask that question. Wives, you'll feel free to remind them about that. And again, listen. Just Shut down. You know, don't just listen. That's all you have to do. And uh, 
and then do it, whatever it might be. I mean, how? I mean, she might be asking for a house, a bigger. Well, maybe you can't do that, but why? Here's 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 the advice for wives: is make it simple. Well, you can respect me. That, that's hard to do. That's too ethereal. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come up with an example that they can actually do, and start out small, right? You don't overwhelm these guys. You know, they're kind of sensitive. <laughs> or, or, or uh, thick-headed. All right. So again, that was outstanding. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Oh, all parents love that verse. All parents have memorized that verse. All parents have posted that somewhere in their home. And they're quick to tell their children, Hey, listen, God said you need to obey me. I don't care what your reasons are. Hey, you obey me. Now we'll talk about that in a second, how that can be misused. Uh, then in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A lot of guys struggle with this. I can remember when the kids were growing up and I had my office at home. <laughs> they were in the playroom. So I, I listened to what was happening, and when it sounded like blood was being shed, I'd enter into the situation. Now, <laughs> well, when the... When the pitch of the voices got so high and somebody was crying or whatever the case might be, uh, I go in there and I try to recreate what happened, which, of course, is impossible. So I was lazy, so I just got mad at all of them. Would you guys be quiet? Would you just settle down? I'm trying to work. And, you know, I provoked them to anger. It's so easy for us guys to do think, hey, we're head of the house, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and just, you know, Take that anger that we've picked up from other areas of our lives and just focus it on our kids. And this is so important, guys. You've got to be really careful in the way you talk to your kids. I've had to apologize to my kids many times because I've done that. Uh, you know, we treat our kids like a punching bag sometimes. You know, we've got authority over them and we feel we're going to do it, but we provoke them to anger because we don't do it with any type of sensitivity or thought, we usually do it in the midst of anger. And what we do is we crush their spirit. Now, yeah, they might have been wrong, but that didn't mean you need to hammer them, right? Children are very sensitive. And if you crush their spirit, they're going to close to you. You don't want that to happen. So again, the ideal is that you do not want to provoke your children to anger. Then wives, submit to your own husbands as to uh, the Lord. It's interesting, there's mutual submission talked about in this passage in Ephesians. Uh, but here it highlights wives. Of course, we see in uh, Genesis that after the curse, it says uh, the wife would desire her husband. And that's not romantic. <laughs> She'd desire to be leader over her husband. And that's why many times wives find it very hard to submit. And that's a whole other message and things of that nature. But again, he kind of picks out the points where people uh, would struggle in the family with what they're told uh, to do. Well, friends, um, what we've talked about here is God's model for the family. Husbands, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. 
you are to be understanding of them and you are to be considerate of their needs and, and desire to honor them. Wives, you're to submit to your husbands. Children, you need to obey your parents. And again, this was revolutionary back in that day. Nobody lived life this way. This, this is brand new. Now, we talk about it today, and we kind of say, yeah, well, that's, that's the way it is. Well, it wasn't that way back then. And what's interesting is, is that uh, over the years, uh, those uh, societies that have had a biblical world view, and they honor this type of pattern, the women and the children have done very well. But the societies that haven't done well, that didn't follow the biblical worldview, it negatively impacted the women and the children. And friends, the way our country is going, I promise you, the losers are going to be women and children. That's why it's so important that we shine our light and that we tell people about our faith and that we model what a great family, not a perfect family, but a healthy family is all about. And as the years go by, I mean, you're going to stick out more and more in your behavior because you haven't gotten rid of the ideal. You know, it's interesting. If you were to talk to a single mom or single dad who's uh, been divorced, Again, God forgives that, but you still go through the consequences of it. I uh, say, what do you want for your child? What do, what do you pray for your child? And they say, well, I pray that my child would find that perfect match that God has for them. And I pray that they would never, ever experience a divorce. Grandparents, isn't that the way that you pray for your grandchildren? You don't say, oh, Lord, well, I pray you'd help my child through that first divorce and get it right in the second time. Of course you don't do that because divorce is so painful, filled with loneliness, filled with fear and brokenness because God never intended it to be. Now, God shows grace to those who've walked through it. But it's not something you would ever desire for everyone. Why? Because this is the ideal. We want our Kids to find someone to spend the rest of their lives with, which is the way God designed it. Now, it's very important that I went over these uh, principles because they're going to impact what we're going to talk about in the next several weeks. And again, next week we're talking about conflict resolution. <laughs> so be sure uh, to be here. And uh, we're going to talk about very practical principles from God's Word on how to minimize conflict, but how to work through it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for this time. I want to thank you for just the unbelievable wisdom you've given us. You created us, and you're saying, hey, you know, if you operate in this way, you're going to be happier, you're going to be healthier, and you're going to be closer to me. And Lord, thank you that your grace is all over the place. And those who have been divorced, for all of us who have failed you in so many ways, your grace just continues. But there is an ideal that you want us to work towards. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that because 
Lord, just make our lives better. In Christ's name, amen.